Father God, Lord, I just pray that um, you would bless our time today, God. Lord, I, I thank you for that worship set, God, where we were just so focused on you, God. Lord, let you, our, our one true love, God, our first love, Lord, always be at the forefront of our minds. God, I pray that today you would meet with us where we're at, God, and that you would just, Lord, you would really, you would challenge us, God, or that you would almost set a fire under us in our walk. In your name, amen. Amen, guys. So um, we're still in our series, our Acts series. We're in Acts 26 today. Last week we did Acts 25. And the end of that one, that's the chapter where Festus, after Paul's been in prison for two years, Festus is the new guy on the block, puts him on trial. They have this trial. And at the end of it, Paul basically says to him, look, I don't think you're administering the ordo very well. You're these governing rules of, um, of the Roman Empire. And he says, I appeal to Caesar. To Caesar, you will go. And so that's kind of where we leave off. And you remember at the end that King Agrippa is there as well. And King Agrippa says, hey, I'd love to hear Paul speak. I'd love to hear what this guy's got to say. And Festus says, well, tomorrow you'll hear him. And so that's what we're in today. It's this talk where Paul stands up before Agrippa and the the other people who were there. It's Paul's last public kind of oration it's kind of a trial as well he's giving a defense but it's his last public oration but it's not a trial because he's appealed to caesar but it's his last time that he's standing up and speaking like this in israel and it's probably one of the most prestigious groups of people he's speaking to you've got the governor there festus you've got king agrippa there and all these other kind of notable king's men and stuff like that who were there as well and within it or just reading it at face value can seem quite straightforward he shares his testimony the story of what's happened to him what god has called him to and through it he shares the good news okay but this chapter when we dig down into it and we kind of peel back the onion skin in a sense it's this beautiful reminder at the near the end we're not quite the end of acts yet but near the end of the book of acts it's this reminder about what it's all about that it's about the miracle of seeing people in darkness come into the light and find this joy this fulfillment this completeness of joy in Jesus this ultimate satisfaction in Christ and so it reminds us as a chapter that each of us are people that live in the light it reminds us that we live in the light that you know if you don't feel like that today my prayer is that you'll rediscover that that you would leave this place transformed stepped into a different place it reminds us that this is a miracle that God works through us as believers as followers of Jesus to a hurt and broken world so Let's get into the verses. Verses 1 to 11. It says, Then Agrippa said to Paul, You have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hands and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today 
as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and, and can testify, if they're willing, that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why? Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. So in these first 11 verses, Paul speaks to King Agrippa and those who were there. He speaks to them about his past, his testimony, where he's come from. And Paul is saying, look, guys, many of you have seen me since I was a boy. Many of you guys have known I've been devoted to God since I living in my own country, Tarsus, back in Cilicia which is that nook of Turkey, and then also in Jerusalem, because remember, he studied under Gamaliel, who was like the, the man, you know, he was like the guy. And so probably as quite a young guy, he would have gone there as a young man to study and be a disciple under Gamaliel in Jerusalem. And he's saying, look, you know how devoted I was to God. We all, all of us here, all, all of us here, we have this hope in the promise that God made to our ancestors. What's he speaking about? That there would be a Messiah. That Jews today, they're still waiting for a Messiah. And he's saying this, he's saying, that is my hope. Okay. Saying that's why I'm on trial here today. It's because of this hope. It's because of this thing that I have found and discovered that is the fulfillment of everything that's been spoken to our people in the Old Testament. Everything the prophets spoke about, I'm accused by the Jews of being. And then he says this. He says, why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead. Resurrection. See, that's the thing. He's saying, it's kind of, he's saying, guy, why would you think that? Because a bunch of the guys there are Pharisees. Like he is. Like, like, he, like he was, that, that he grew up in. The Pharisees, their core belief, their core thing that separated them from the Sadducees was this belief in resurrection, that God raises the dead. This belief in spirits and in angels. And Paul's challenging their minds, mindsets there, but also at the same time, he's pointing something out to them, the extent to which their minds have been darkened, that they're opposing him in the very thing that they seem to hold themselves. But then he points out himself, no judgment. 
he points himself out and puts himself in that same boat and he tells them about a time in his life that I'm sure he regrets knows how forgiven he is but he regrets this time in life when his mind was so darkened that he dwelt in darkness that he too felt that he had to destroy these followers of Jesus and he identifies with them he doesn't judge them he identifies with these guys and says I know what it's like I was like you and more so you know what you think you're doing to me now is nothing compared to how I used to be so when we are faced with people living in sin don't judge them remember where you've come from remember how much you have been forgiven when you follow Jesus guys you're going to come up against people who oppose you who argue with you who maybe just throw rubbish at you who make fun of you and it may not fully make sense it may just seem like why on earth when we think about it because sometimes I think as Christians we're like oh okay no they're persecuting me a bit that's what I should expect but actually if we think about it logically quite often it really doesn't make any sense to have that much vehemence and hatred suddenly thrown at somebody if you think about it many countries all over the world have great persecution of Christians but these are people who are just lovely ordinary people who are skilled and have amazing gifts and talents who actually are peaceful and creative that they would bring wealth and prosperity to a country it's the darkening of minds that leads to this kind of illogical opposition to the gospel you know Paul says about himself he says I cast my vote many times against these Christians and I even got them to blaspheme so that they would be killed and he says I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I went to other cities like to root them out and find them and in the context of his whole defense the whole chapter he isn't making himself out to be super holy he's not saying I'm awesome and you're rubbish and you need to get like me he's saying you know he's pointing to God and how great God is and saying look I used to dwell in darkness that he's reminding them who he was and also where he was spiritually where he was pursuing darkness dwelling in darkness and pursuing death and so Paul starts here he starts by saying his hope is in what the prophets have spoken about the hope that all Jews have and then he effectively says we don't see it because our minds are darkened and he points to this issue of darkened minds by giving an example of himself his own life and then he continues and tells a story and he goes into the story of the Damascus Road and he tells the story his testimony the story of how he came to light verses 12 to 23 it says this on one of these journeys i was going to damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests about noon king agrippa as i was on the road i saw a light 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 and darkness there's a lot of this through here light from heaven brighter than the sun blazing around me and my companions we all fell to the ground and i heard a voice saying to me in aramaic saul saul why do you persecute me it is hard for you to kick against the goads then i asked who are you lord i am jesus whom you are persecuting the lord replied now get up and stand on your feet i have appeared to you 
to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles, his own people and to the Gentiles. This is the main body we're going to stay here for bulk of the time and you know what Paul does is he tells of this journey his journey from darkness to light and the commission that God gives him this commission to that can actually speak to us today and it's this core aspect of Jesus's work here in the world seeing lives change where they go from darkness to light seeing lives coming into his kingdom and I want to focus particularly on Jesus's words, his commission to Paul. And he says this in verse 17, 18, I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. So this is back on Damascus Road. I'm sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me interesting right it's an interesting verse the first section there's very interesting it's a weird one it's when you know we can read stuff and brrr, and just kind of read through it and go over and oh that sounds great but it's weird that he uses god uses that word i'm rescuing you from your own people and from the gentiles what is the rescue he's speaking about well where do the gentiles and his people and the Jews there where are they dwelling they dwell according to the Bible they dwell humanity dwells in darkness and God is saying I am rescuing you from the darkness and bringing you into the light and then he says and now I am sending you back to them see that's how God works that God rescues us to make us rescuers now ultimately obviously God is the rescuer but he rescues us to send us back into the darkness to be rescuers. He heals us, fills us with his spirit and sends us out into the darkness so that through us, humanity could be healed. He speaks his words to us that we would speak them out. You know, he loves us so that we would in turn love the world like he loves that's the kingdom nature of God that's how God functions how God works in mankind so God says at the end of um, verse 17 he says this I am sending you to them why 
Why does God now, this guy who was rescued, why is he sending him back into the darkness? He says to open the eyes and turn them, turn them from darkness to light. Those brought from the darkness into the light are in turn sent back into the darkness to lead others into the light and call people to it remember so many images from the bible you know that you are a city on a hill you know don't hide your light under a basket it's all about it's not about us dwelling in light so you can't tell the light from the darkness it's always about the church us dwelling in the darkness but being the light you are in the world but not of the world the whole world is blinded and in spiritual darkness that's what the bible says that they can't see the truth they can't see the beauty and the glory of jesus christ how is it then that the world's blinded well paul he answers this when he writes in in second corinthians and he explains it second corinthians 4 4 he says the god of this world and that's Satan, that's a small g, has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, the whole world is under the authority of Satan. That's why the Bible speaks about us moving from the dominion of darkness and coming into the kingdom of the beloved son it's that that's what the world's blinded to to the light of the gospel the good news of the glory of christ read that verse again i am sending you to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light from the power of satan to god that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place amongst those who are sanctified by faith in me you see satan what does he do he exploits our sinfulness to misguide to twist our understanding of what's truly beautiful to twist our understanding of what is truly worthy truly worth giving our lives to to change our understanding of what is really valuable and what is ultimately satisfying for our lives you know Hey, if I get this car, I'll be satisfied. If I get this um, house, I'll be satisfied. If I, if I get to this position in my company, I'll be satisfied. You know? If I have this in life, then I'll be satisfied. He twists our minds to these things. So you see, without faith in Jesus, without Christ, the world is unsanctified. It's unholy. It's, it's not dwelling with him. It remains in this darkness. And so if you think about the call that God has put on Paul's life there, it's like, wow, that's massive. You know, it's not just kind of, Paul, could you set up like a Bible study, you know, in the book of Isaiah? It's like, I'm sending you out into the darkness to call these people into the light, to see people go from darkness to light. It's, it's huge. And the thing is here, that actually that call isn't just on Paul. That calls on every believer in multiple different ways. And it's a tough one because it isn't something that we can do ourselves, right? It isn't something we can do ourselves because in truth, only God can move someone from darkness into light. But the amazing mystery of how God works in the world is that God always uses human instruments to accomplish divine 
purposes. Paul continues in that Second Corinthians passage and explains this, and he says, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. Remember creation. For let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. It's totally awesome that God Almighty through the mouths of mortal men as we speak the gospel shines into the darkness of the human heart shines into that place where satan will hold somebody captive and in bondage and in deception and blindness the gospel is the power of god unto salvation or what is it then that god shines into our hearts when i just find it amazing that we speak and god shines that what is it that god shines into our hearts what's going on every single time that paul shares the gospel and many come to faith or you've seen people share the gospel or you shared the gospel and something happens in their heart and they turn and they want to pursue god what's happening what's happening today around the world at services all over the world tens of thousands of people are going to be coming to faith today tens of thousands of people are going to be giving their lives to god today their lives are being transformed what is it that's happening God shines with the very thing that the enemy is trying to blind us to. And it's in those verses we just read. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. He shines with that. And the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because you see, as we behold Jesus, we get to see the glory of God because Jesus is the image of of the invisible God. So as people's eyes are opened now, what is it that happens? What happens? What's the thing that goes on as people's eyes are opened? And that verse explains that as well. We're just going to go into that verse by verse. I'm sending you to open their eyes. That's what Paul is called to go out into the darkness. That's what we are called to do, to go out into the darkness so that they may turn from darkness to light that they turn from darkness to light what is it that that actually means what does that actually look like it looks like a person whose whole affections whole whole hearts desires their loves their everything in their lives that the focus changes they're now not focused on darkness but they are focused on the beauty and the majesty and the glory of christ they push into him as if there was no better place to be than with him they hate darkness and love the light and it continues and from the power of satan to god They turn from Satan to God. Suddenly, the great deceiver who seemed awesome and very fun is revealed for who he is. The eyes are open. They see clearly. And when a person has had their eyes open, all of a sudden, they hate what he stands for, including their sin. They see the stuff that maybe they still struggle with, the stuff that they find tough. 
And it's not like, oh, it's okay, you know, just because we that hate it, because they see his work. They begin to see how he works in the world, destroying lives, bringing darkness, and he becomes not a pal, but an arch enemy. And as they see the glory of Jesus, the image of the invisible God, they see the glory of God and they push into him and nothing else. And it continues, it says, that they may receive forgiveness of sins they receive forgiveness of their sins we know this right when people someone comes to faith in god that as they're brought out from under the authority of satan under this deception of darkness and into the embrace of the beauty and the brightness and the light of the glory of christ their sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake everything that he has paid for it's this moment of outstanding joy where those who've walked in darkness and have seen a great light, they unable to be into the, in the presence of God are now declared blameless and now declared children of the living God. What gratitude there is in the heart of a person who truly knows the extent to which they have been forgiven. It says a place amongst those who are sanctified. They find a place amongst those who are sanctified. It isn't just that they've had this legal pardon that's gone on. But they have entered a community of people who are walking with God, that they are sanctified and they are walking in sanctification. In other words, real purity is happening. It's not just some legalistic thing in heaven that's been ticked off. It has, and that's, that's awesome. We're forgiven and we are righteous. We are justified before God. Real purity is happening as the Spirit works in us. Sins are cancelled and dealt with on the cross, but also through the sanctifying Spirit, sins are literally being conquered in life. It's not like I'm doing this and it's wrong and I know it's wrong, but... It's all right, Jesus has forgiven me, so I'm just carrying on in this and he'll forgive me tomorrow and the next day. It's no, God, I see how much you paid for this sin and we walk out our sanctification with the Holy Spirit and see real purity begin to come. It's this real, raw, this beautiful life as people walk out their sanctification. And do you guys notice it's not, you need to sort all this stuff out and then come to me and let's speak about forgiveness of sins. Let's speak about you getting my love after that. No, it's, I'm going to call you out of darkness. I'll come down into the darkness. I'll meet you in the mess and the rubbish. Even Paul, he sends back out into the darkness, doesn't he? He doesn't say, look, you go and set up this beautiful thing there and call people out of darkness to, to you. So go back into the darkness. I'm sending you back to them. He meets us in our mess and our rubbish and he forgives our sins. And by his spirit, all these different things, some, with some people more baggage than others that they take into their Christian walk, the Holy Spirit will walk that out with us. If you're here today and you're struggling with something, I encourage you to take heart and let the Holy Spirit work in that with you. We'll have an opportunity at the end to have some kind of uh, ministry time. Then the last part of that verse is, by faith in me. Jesus says, all this is happening by faith in me. It's like, boom, drop the mic. There's all this great stuff that's happened by faith in me, the movement of a human soul out of darkness and into light, out of satanic bondage. 
into the freedom of God. This change in affections, the change in longings and desires, this whole reorientation of our hearts so that we now turn and pursue Christ, this embracing and receiving and cherishing and treasuring Jesus, this movement of a person from darkness to light, that journey of becoming a Christian or that journey of a Christian to Christ that changes everything by nothing else than faith faith in him not by being good enough not by praying enough not by accomplishing certain great things or getting rid of the bad stuff in your life by faith in Jesus it's all about him that he is the source of everything and here near the end of Acts this awesome book we are reminded of the greatest treasure Jesus we're reminded that this book is not Often it's called the Acts of the Apostles, but really it's everything that Jesus continued to do and teach. And that's what it says at the beginning, right? The Acts of Jesus, the risen King, through his people, the Apostles and the disciples. So here's a challenge for us today is are we fixated on Jesus? Do we cherish Jesus? There is no Christianity without cherishing Christ. We are called to pursue this cherishing of Christ as our supreme satisfaction. We're called to pursue this cherishing of Christ as our supreme satisfaction. See, without that, there is no Christianity. And I'm not talking about Christianity in name. Sure, you can do that, slap a sticker on it, do some cool branding, things like that. What I'm talking about is the reality of what Christianity is, the reality itself. If we're not cherishing Christ, there's no Christianity. I want, uh, with you guys in mind, with this thing in mind of cherishing Christ as our supreme satisfaction, to remember this parable. Do you remember the parable of the uh, hidden treasure? In Matthew 13, 44, it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. Then in his joy went and sold all that he had and bought that field. The coming of the king into a person's life as his saving reign is established in their life and a person's life moves from darkness to light, this a Christian's born. That is the miracle of a human soul finding the King, Jesus Christ, and finding him to be such a treasure that he becomes of more worth and more value than anything else in life that we're willing to part with everything for him, that we're willing to part with everything just to be in his presence, just to be with him, that, that we don't come to him fearing hell or we come to him kind of begrudgingly or come to him out of this kind of, hey, well, my family have always been Christian, so I'm going to be a Christian. But we come to him in joy-filled abandon, cherishing him with ultimate 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 joy that the treasure set before us Jesus is so beautiful and truly for us in our lives is ultimately satisfying see we 
our call to find our supreme happiness in God through Jesus Christ. We're called to find our supreme happiness in God through Jesus Christ. That's the message of light. That's the message that God has called Paul to proclaim. That's the light that we demonstrate through our lives. And as we cherish Christ, as we find our ultimate satisfaction in him, people are going to notice and they're going to see that you have a satisfaction in something that the world doesn't offer. God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. I think that's a really beautiful statement. That's something John Piper said, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And with all this and the beauty and the majesty of Christ and Paul there, this great, amazing guy shares. But still, people don't always respond. And that's life. That's what may happen. But we share anyway. Verse 24 to 32, it says, At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. Remember, eyes darkened. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I'm convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe in the prophets? I know you do. Then King Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Remember, eyes darkened. Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose and with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free had he not appealed to Caesar. Both Festus and Agrippa kind of shoot Paul down a bit. Festus interrupts, doesn't he? They shoot him down a bit, but Paul doesn't get affected. We can't get affected. When we share, we just share. You know, Paul doesn't get affected. And one reason is the burden for their conversion isn't on himself. Okay? Maybe he has a burden in prayer for these guys, but the burden of actually doing the converting isn't on himself. Notice when Festus says, Paul, you're nuts. Paul's response is just like, no, it's true. And what I've said is very reasonable. And then Agrippa calls him out on trying to convert him and get him to become a Christian quickly. And Paul says these very important words when it comes to us, when we're thinking about seeing people come to faith. He says this, he says, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening today may become what I am. There's a few things in that. See, Paul knows that he does the sharing. He stands up and he shares and he lives a life. He does the living. He's God's hands and feet there. But God is the one who does the saving. God is the one who shines the light of the gospel into the heart of the human, into the human hearts. Challenge, guys. Do we, like Paul says, he prays for them. Do we pray for our friends, our families, our enemies who have imprisoned us? Do we pray for them that they will come from darkness to light, that they will discover the gospel? And then do we follow up by just 
sharing it by living it on the flip side is there someone who you're trying to see come to faith that come to god that actually there a point change where you weren't just sharing but you felt you took on the burden of their converting like i'm gonna convert this guy i need to convert this guy because spiritually speaking you took the responsibility from god said hands off god i'm converting this person and there's a very fine line where we actually pray god you convert this person i share but god i know it's in your power that you'll shine the light of the gospel it's you and the father it's you and god working together to see someone come to faith so there there may be some people who you want to see come to faith that you need to pray all the more share all the more but actually the responsibility the burden that you have on your heart for them that you need to lay that down in a sense and let god come in let him have the responsibility because he's the one who does the saving god's the one who shines the light of the gospel into a human heart and our responsibility is to live and to share and to shine out into the darkness into the world in our words and also with our deeds you know if our words and our deeds don't line up we can share the gospel all we like but if our lives don't reflect christ at our center they're not going to be received paul reminds us that this business of becoming a christian isn't some religious club as well doesn't he, he says that you will become like me that you'd become as i am that actually being a christian is about transformation that you are completely transformed that your very essence is changed you remember paul writes doesn't he he says that you become a new creation in christ paul doesn't say i pray you join my church or i pray you know you come and join my my apostolic band it's going to be great he says i pray that you would all become as i am except these chains and he's speaking about a person who has been born again who has moved from darkness to light who's turned like the verse says from satan to god who has received forgiveness who is counted amongst those who are sanctified and who lives this all out and sees this all come through their lives by faith in jesus a totally transformed person whose greatest pleasure and treasure is jesus whose ultimate satisfaction in life and ultimate happiness in life is found in the king we'll just have a, a time of response so guys like please close your eyes pray and um just we'll have a time where we just respond in the message are you um here today and you know that you don't cherish christ that he's there you know you'd say you're a believer you believe in christ but maybe you just got too busy and unfocused that he's there but actually your supreme happiness and this is the measure guys that the supreme happiness is not found in him it is found in something else maybe a hope for the future maybe something even that you've achieved and you've got now and you're frantic you're happy but you're frantically trying not to lose that thing If that's you today i want you guys just to be real with him just in the quiet of now put him in the right position and 
Say sorry for pursuing anything else above him. Just make that commitment today in your hearts before him that God, I'm going to cherish you, that you, God, in you, I will find my supreme satisfaction. You know, as you guys do that, God will be glorified in your lives. That actually when we're most satisfied in him, he is most glorified in us. I guarantee you guys, it will change your lives. You're here today and you've, you've come to Jesus, but there's still something that you're holding on to. There's maybe a, a sin that you know you just can't stop doing this thing and you're, you're struggling with that. Is there something in your life that you're still holding on to and you're not letting that sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit just come into work in your heart, work in that area of your life? Is there something that you need to work out between you and God? I just want to encourage you, if, that's, if that is you, let him in. So Holy Spirit, I don't know how I'm going to stop this thing, but I pray, Holy Spirit, that you, by your power, would just come in and work in me. Before we go into the song in a bit, we'll just have a time of um, reflection. If you want prayer, just put your hands flat open in front of you and come round and, and pray. Father God, we just, I just pray for us, God, that, that you would grow that thing in our heart, Lord, that we would pursue you above all else, God, that we would seek to find our, look, that you would be our ultimate satisfaction, God. Lord, I thank you that it is not because of us that we can, we can cherish you, but it's all on you, God. Lord, I just thank you for your grace over each of our lives, God. And I, I pray just as we go into this last song, Holy Spirit, that you would minister to each and every single one of us. In your name. Amen.